The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. Who are we? Are we the people we think we are? Particularly when we deal with our guests. Because at the moment, we think we're a team of five million who are kind and who do the right thing and we're nice to our guests and we're nice to people and we're not like those nasty places like Dubai that treat their temporary workers awfully and we look after our people who are in trouble and we're not mean to people and we make sure that people are paid a proper wage and they're not abused when actually that's far from the truth. New Zealand is not a team of five million. We have treated our guest workers here over the last 18 months or so, and in fact, for many years before that, awfully. Before COVID, we had upwards of 300,000 people working here on temporary work visas, many of whom were cleaning up after everyone else, looking after our elderly, working in the middle of the night in service stations, working in retail, many of the jobs which a lot of people who've lived here for much longer don't want to do. And for the last four or five years, we've had this debate about whether we should grant those people residency, a a debate that we didn't really want to have with ourselves because it asked ourselves some really tough questions like, have we invested enough in infrastructure to deal with strong population growth? And if we haven't, what should we do? Should we invest a lot of our tax money, increase our tax rates effectively to make sure that our motorways and railways and hospitals and schools are big enough for all these extra people that have come in. Effectively, do we want to have higher tax rates? No politician wants to ask that question. And secondly, are we really comfortable having lots and lots of people here working on very low wages, or in fact, sometimes even worse, no wages, below minimum wage, working many longer hours than they're paid for, with the vague hope that people might get residency? We've used that carrot to bring in hundreds of thousands of people. And just in the last couple of years, and especially since COVID, we have treated those people awfully. We've left them stuck in a queue, some sort of Kafkaesque nightmare, where people are waiting upwards of two years to know whether they've got residency. And because of COVID, they are stuck, unable to get on with their lives, to bring their families, or to even go home, spend a month there and come back. And because of the way that our migration system has effectively seized up under the uh, pressures of a government, and not just this one, the previous one as well, that really didn't want to have the proper debate, to own up to the fact that we wanted all of these cheap, convenient workers here giving us the cheap Uber rides, the cheap Uber Eats, the service station open in the middle of the night, the aged care, uh, which isn't going to cost us too much. We wanted all that. But we didn't really want to have to pay for it. And we didn't want to kid ourselves or really do the hard work of investing in the infrastructure, acknowledging that we actually wanted a big New Zealand. Instead, we're in an awful mess where we now have 
About 180,000 people left here stuck in temporary work, many of them having rolled over those visas for as many as eight to 10 years. Nearly a third of the workers in our aged care industry are on temporary work visas. Overall, New Zealand has the highest rate of temporary work visas in the developed industrialised world, with over 5% of our population. Hardly a team of 5 million, when many of those who lost their jobs during COVID couldn't even get a benefit. It wasn't until the end of 2020 when the government finally allowed those people who had lost their jobs and who needed some income to actually get some support through the social development uh, system with work and income and with help with accommodation. And regular listeners to When the Facts Change might remember the case that I talked about with the Filipino worker who was turfed out of his job in Queenstown during the lockdown, ran out of food and money, eventually had to apply repeatedly for grocery vouchers from the Queenstown Lakes District Council, in some cases misleading the authorities, and was eventually booted out of the country. An awful way to treat people. This is all now part of the hot political spotlight, given the Kafkaesque way we have now left hundreds of thousands of people in this country, upwards of 200,000, in limbo. And in particular, about 35,000 who are now waiting to find out if they've got residency or not. In the podcast this week, we will talk to Erica Stanford, who is the National Party's immigration spokeswoman, who has been very focused on putting the spotlight on the government's performance here, which is really all because the government doesn't really know exactly what it wants to do. It wants to tighten migration settings to, in theory, take some of the pressure off wages and infrastructure costs, but at the same time, it's got all of these employers begging for extra workers to keep growing in an economy which is short of workers. I'll be talking to the New Zealand Initiative's Eric Crampton and Oliver Hartwich, who are also highlighting this issue and coming up with quite a dramatic proposal to do the right thing. And then we'll be talking to Alistair McClymont, an immigration lawyer in Auckland, who's also been working behind the scenes to come up with a pathway to residency for these people to try and clear the decks of this awful mess we're in. And it would be great if in this process of dealing with the short-term crisis, which is partly caused by COVID, but also by the government's own failure to be upfront with itself and the rest of us about what it really wants, that we find a, a temporary solution and then have the conversation as a trite phrase, which we've heard many times before, but actually have a proper debate about how big we want to be, who should pay for it, And who we really are as a country, are we a kind country or are we the Dubai of the South Pacific? Are we the team of 5 million or are we a team of 4.6 million with 400,000 servants? Who are we? I'm Bernard Hickey. This is When the Facts Change, a weekly podcast on the Spinoff Network brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank. Welcome to When the Facts Change. I'm Bernard Hickey with Erica Stanford, who is the National Party spokesperson for immigration. Erica, welcome to our humble padded cell of a studio here in Parliament. It's great to have you here. Tell me, what is National proposing to deal with this crisis we have at the moment with so many people stuck in a horrible limbo with their temporary work visas? 
Yeah, we got ourselves into a real pickle. We've gone from processing residency visas in somewhere between six and 10 months, uh, and now we're looking at 27 months. And that's if you manage to have been selected out of the pool, of course. The pool is now frozen. So um, they've got no clue when they're getting residents, right? So you know, these are skilled people. These are our doctors, our nurses, our teachers. There's 550 teachers in that pool. There's 1,000 medical workers. You know, these are pretty talented people that we need here. And they are currently going, I can take my skills elsewhere. I can leave New Zealand um, because, quite frankly, why am I going to wait in this awful limbo not knowing, not being able to put down roots, not being able to buy a house, not being able to invest in KiwiSaver. If my kids turn 18, they won't be able to afford international fees or, or, or even work. So these people are making rational decisions based on their family and their lives, and they're choosing right now to leave New Zealand. You've seen doctors, nurses, teachers, engineers, up sticks and leaving New Zealand. So it's, it's a big problem. So what is National proposing? Um, we need to clear the decks. Right? We've got ourselves in such a big pickle, we have to do something drastic to get rid of the backlog so that we can start afresh. First thing, this residency backlog has got to be cleared. We've got to open up the expression of interest pool, select everyone, and process their visas. We need to fast-track that process uh, and streamline that process. And I think immig- I know Immigration New Zealand have been on a deliberate go-slow to meet a low New Zealand residency program target number. What is that target number? Because my understanding is that for a long time, both sides of Parliament essentially agreed to this broad planning range for granting residencies of around about ninety to 100,000 every couple of years. It seemed to have been quietly dropped <laughs> about 2019. Now, it seemed like the government couldn't actually um, agree on anything before the 2020 election, particularly uh, Labour, the Greens and New Zealand First didn't really want to be seen to be cutting the immigration target, so to speak, although residency is not quite the same as temporary work visas and people coming in. What is National's view on how many residencies we should hand out every year? Yeah, well, it's a good question. And you're right that these guys have drastically reduced that number. In terms of what National would do, I mean, again, this is a a discussion for a little bit down the track because actually what I'm focused on right now is just cleaning up the mess that we've got because, you know, we we need to have a discussion about, well, who do we want in the country? Um, You know, how many residence places that's going to be? How many temporary work visa holders do we want in the country? But right now, the focus has got to be fix the system, clear the backlog so we can even have that discussion. The second thing that we have to do... uh, But by its nature, if you're saying, you know, make it easier for people who are here to get residency quickly, Mm -hmm. that means you're going to have to have a bigger number than... 50,000 over 18 months. There will be in the short term. There will be. What we want to do is have a a COVID contribution visa. So for all of those people who couldn't quite meet the points uh, requirement to get residence, we actually think, you know what, if you were here on the date that the country was locked down, you've been contributing to New Zealand, to our economy, to our society, you've been here for a number of years and you know you weren't quite able to get there, well actually uh, we owe it to you to give you a pathway to residence and the reason we can do this is because we're in a unique position, we haven't been in this position maybe ever, where we have a record low unemployment and the biggest labour market shortage in over 40 years. It's good for the economy because we cannot afford to lose our truck drivers who are being poached by the Canadians right now, by the way, our construction workers, our dairy farm workers, because right now they're all being targeted and poached and they're leaving because they've got no pathway to residence. So it's good for the economy in the first, first instance. It's great for the economy. The second thing 
is that it's the right thing to do. These people have been contributing to our economy. They're part of the team of five million. Um, you know, why are we not extending kindness to them? I mean, we haven't been extending kindness to any migrants lately. It's pretty horrific situation. I think we owe it to them. But we've got around about 200,000 people in New Zealand with temporary work visas. Some of them encouraged nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You might get residency if you come in here. Perhaps you're on a student visa. Or maybe those people who have come in here on, you could say, a relatively low-skilled jobs, working in retail, uh, some agricultural jobs, and uh, you know also some aged care jobs, where they have been maybe rolled on temporary work visas for years and years. You hear about some people in aged care on 10, 12 years yeah. of being rolled. They've had rolled. children here, they've had families here, their life is here. It's yeah. just awful. But 200,000, you're suggesting here that we could uh, essentially quadruple the number of residencies handed out, quadruple the previous rate in one fell swoop. Is no, that right? not at all. Not at all. I'm talking about people who are here on essential skills work visas. So those people are here because we needed them. Their job was work tested, which means a Kiwi was not available to fill that role. They're work tested visas. There's about 35,000 of them by my calculations who uh, are not already in the expression of interest queue or have applied for residence. Um, there are a lot of other people here, you know, no doubt about it. They're here on a working holiday visas. Now, I don't think that those people ever expected to get residence, so uh, I don't think that you know we should be including them. You've also got people here on seasonal, visa, seasonal visas, um, uh, and you've got open work visas as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm being, you know, you've got to be pretty pragmatic and you've got to draw a line in the sand somewhere. I'm cognizant of the fact that we don't want to and, and shouldn't, in fact, be opening the doors to, you know, a couple of hundred thousand residency places. Couldn't you say, though, you're effectively enabling yet more rollovers of temporary work visas and holding this carrot out in front of people that maybe, maybe you could get residency later on and perpetuating this problem that's developed where we're doing sort of Dubai of the South Pacific stuff. Yeah. We're treating them like second-class citizens. Aren't you yeah. perpetuating that by not extending it to the 200,000? Uh, no, I don't think so at all for the reasons I mentioned. I don't think a lot of those people came expecting residence at all. We have to think really carefully, as you say, about how we treat people in the future. Because right now we don't value certain people because we call them low-skilled, which I hate. I hate that term. Uh, people who work in aged care, for example, we say they're low-skilled. Low well, I actually think that the people who work in aged care who look after people day in, day out with dementia and get abused and treat them with kindness and caring and compassion are highly skilled people. And a third of that workforce are migrants. Should um, they get so, residency then? Well, that's exactly what I'm saying here. If you are on an essential skills work visa and you're here because no one else could fill your job, then I think we owe it to them to get residence. And this is what we we need to look at in the future is how do we value different skills? But we do need to talk about it because yeah. we've had both sets of politicians come in and essentially significantly increase the size of the net migration flow of people into New Zealand, partly by kidding themselves and us that the residency planning range was the thing to focus on when actually we had a massive increase in the number of temporary workers coming in. Yeah, that's exactly right. From my view, uh, national and the sort of centre-right parties have been quite happy to see lots of people come in on temporary work visas because it helped you know, grow their businesses, uh, a lot of great skills coming into the business. Maybe you don't have to train them so much. And also, accidentally on purpose, it seems to be doing great things for the housing market. The problem is, though, both sides of politics have done this thing of allowing lots of people in because actually 
in that 2017 to 2020 period, there were enormous numbers of temporary migrants. Oh, you've seen the curve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And (laughs) neither side is willing to have that tough conversation with the public, which is, we love a big New Zealand, we love lots of people from lots of different places, but we're not going to pay for the infrastructure for it. And it's great to see what's happening to house prices. Nobody have a good look at this. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, a couple of things. Firstly, that's why when you see us uh, later next year or maybe early next year put out our immigration policy, it won't just be a standalone policy. You're going to see housing and infrastructure policy alongside that because, you know, you've you've made a fair point. Successive governments over a long period of time have uh, not planned for housing and infrastructure like we should have and especially when we've, you know, invited people to our shores and I think both parties can, you know, take a bit of responsibility for that. The, the, the smart thing to do, and which is what we did when we were last in government, is to go, actually, if you want to uh, have fewer people coming to New Zealand, you set a target. You say, look, the points that you need to get for residency has to change. That's the lever that we have to pull. You know, if we don't want the, the record numbers of people coming in, you send a signal to say, actually, in New Zealand now, you need to get this level so, of, of so, points, which so, stems the amount of people coming in. So would you keep that previous national government policy of having this three-year period where we want you to come in, work for three years, and then we want you to go away again for a year and then come back? What about that? Yeah, that's, yeah look, it's something that I'm looking at. It's something that I'm looking at because, you know, it, you made a good point before, do we want to be the Dubai of the South Pacific? I don't want that. Um, I think at the time we had good intentions behind what we were doing and the reason that we did it was because we didn't want people here on rolling visas um, with this expectation that at some point, maybe, maybe in the future they'd get residence and they'd end up trapped here for 12 years, have a family and then be like, you've got to leave because you can't get residence and that was the wrong thing to do. So the intention was... So why won't they just honest and say we actually need to increase the residency um, planning range? Yeah, well, but you got problems then as well because we obviously had infrastructure problems and housing problems. So you know, it was, there's a, it's a, there's many different sort of things going on at the same time. So we need to send a new signal out to the world and also to the migrants here in New Zealand, because in my opinion, we have been uh, sending a message to the world that we don't value migrants. We've been sending a message to them here. They've got that message loud and clear. Don't you worry. You know, the comments that I see on the Facebook pages of migrant groups is pretty awful. They are feeling like, I can't say that word, you know what I'm, you know what yeah, I'm saying, yeah. right? They're feeling pretty bad. They feel, they feel mistreated. They feel used. They feel like we blame them for all of our problems uh, and, you know, and then we trap them in this, this hellhole of an immigration system where they're continually paying for more visas and, you know, more health tests and more police checks, even though they haven't even been home. They feel like an endless pot of money. They feel like a cog in a machine and actually we need to say to them, we value you. But the bigger thing, we need to send a message to the world because if we want the best people to come here, we have to be the best. The government have made us the worst. Nobody wants to come to New Zealand right now. They want to go to Canada. They want to go to the UK. They want to go to Australia because they're offering pathways to residents. They're valuing our migrants and we, quite frankly, are treating them like rubbish. So, you know, you want the best, you've got to be the best. Erica Stanford, the National Party's immigration spokesperson, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us here. We look forward to the national policy on migration early next year. Sometime next year. Sometime next year. (laughs) I'm working on it. Great. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I'm Bernard Hickey for When the Facts Change. After the break, we talk to Eric Crampton and Oliver Hartwich from the New Zealand Initiative who have another idea on how to solve this problem. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. 
Here's Kiwi Bank's chief economist Jared Kerr with his prediction on what we can expect from the housing market and interest rates for 2024. We've seen quite a correction in housing across the country. So house prices fell from the lofty levels that we saw in 2021. The Reserve Bank has pushed house prices down by design and by lifting interest rates to very eye-watering levels. I think the housing market has found a bottom and I think we'll see house prices rising over 2024 and into 25-26. The housing market will be better balanced. We have seen a, a surge in migrants, which is adding demand to the housing market. And I think we'll see house prices naturally lift on the back of that surge in migration and uh, hopefully an easing in interest rates later on. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Oliver, you wrote a, a, a great piece for Stuff a few uh, days ago about this situation we have with so many people on temporary work visas, separated from families, uncertain about their own futures, unable to see their loved ones, uh, stuck in some sort of Kafka-esque situation where they can't get residency. Can you give us an idea of the scale and the nature of the problem? Okay, let's start with the nature of the problem. It was triggered by the reports about a GP from the Otaki Medical Center. A GP originally from Britain who had been on one of these visas in New Zealand trying to get permanence. The problem was it didn't work. And after I don't know how many months, he gave up and said, okay, you know what? I'm going back to the UK, leaving behind about 1,400 patients registered to him. At a time, of course, when we have a GP shortage. That was reported in the media. The medical center actually made their own case public. And news have reported around about the same time that we've got more than a 1,000 people in the medical profession alone on similar circumstances. And also about 10,000 people in the broader economy. And since I published this piece, um, initially for a newsletter, then republished in Stuff, I heard many more cases on Twitter, direct emails, direct messages on social networks, people telling me their own stories. And these are... Doctors, nurses, teachers, journalists even, all in very similar circumstances. They can't get clarity on their own visa situation. I heard yesterday from an acquaintance, he just lodged his permanent visa application and was told that the current processing time is about 27 months. It's just not good enough. So during the lockdown, the Prime Minister described the country as a team of 5 million. 
And aside from the fact many of those people on temporary work visas were not able to apply for benefits and were left in the lurch often, many have been either stuck here or certainly worked here in sometimes dangerous, difficult situations as part of that team of five million. Yet the um, Immigration New Zealand and the Minister and the Cabinet uh, have not given them much certainty. Can you give us a sense of what are the, you know, the certainty and the sort of, you know, basic human <laughs> decency issues here? The problem is actually that while you're here, you are not able to lead a normal life. You are not able to buy property, for example, which in these times actually makes a big difference. If had you bought last year, you would have saved 30%. You're not able to bring in your family, which is a big consideration for many of these migrants. And therefore, you simply can't plan your life. And if you don't know whether you're going to be here in two or three weeks' time, that makes it very difficult to plan ahead. Uh, Eric, um, like many of us, you've come here from uh, a long way away and made your home here. What are you hearing from your communities and contacts around the country? Uh, I've been worried about this problem for some time, so I've been getting the same kinds of emails that Oliver has been describing. People have been put in some pretty impossible situations. Um, some of the worst ones are when the visa application process has lagged so long that you've got kids that are really in the lurch. So if you're here as a migrant on a non-resident visa, then once your kid turns 18, well, if they're going to go to university, it's going to be on non-resident fees. You're probably not earning enough to be able to front that, but there aren't automatic work rights for the kid either because it's this weird kind of visa limbo that maybe would get resolved once you get residence, but nobody can tell you anything in the meantime. So that's pretty uncomfortable. Uh, it it, none of it seems right. Oliver said that you just can't live a normal life. I think that's that's the main problem. When I first moved here in 2003, it wasn't on a residence visa yet. It was on a work-to-residence visa, so it was a two-year visa. Then I applied for residence in 2005, and I've been resident here since then. One of the really nice things was that as, when you came in, you were just treated like anyone else. Uh, it was a pretty sharp contrast to what I'd found when I was in the United States, where I'd gotten a green card as a permanent resident there before moving here. There, the whole system was set up to make sure that you always knew that you were pretty second class compared to the people who were there. And New Zealand just wasn't like that. It was really welcoming and nice, and obviously a place we wanted to stick around and make home, and we've been here ever since. No doubt you've paid lots of taxes. It's good. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of the concerns that we're hearing back uh, are a little weird. So I guess we can step back a little bit to see where the problem kind of came from and then why it's important that we make this fix now. So if we go back in time a little bit, uh, Labour came in, in New Zealand first coalition with the Greens, and there was a sense that they wanted to tighten up immigration settings considerably, that they weren't comfortable with the current levels of migration, but they didn't really have the numbers to be able to form some kind of agreement between themselves, New Zealand first and the Greens. So instead of having actual policy change, they had administrative change, where it looked like Immigration New Zealand was kind of told to just go slow and not process very much. So you started getting a backlog of applications over that period. Once Labour formed government, it was more explicit that there would be an immigration reset coming, and that would add additional stalling, right? Because if you're in Immigration New Zealand and you're processing things and you know that there's going to be big policy change coming, well, maybe you want to hold off a little bit till you know what the situation's going to be. Come lockdown, 
the department was not ready for work from home. None of their systems were set up to be able to enable um, visa processing staff to look at secure confidential documents from home. So while everybody else who was able to work from home were working from home, their systems weren't set up for it. So you already had a backlog. Then you had a six-week period where nothing could get done, and that worsened it, worsened it considerably. So from where we are, you've got a whole pile of people who have played right by the system. They came in with expectations around visa processing times, what's being advertised for them. They played right through the team of 5 million, they stuck with us, and have made critical contributions, often in the health sector and elsewhere. And the normal kinds of pushback that you might get around immigration really seem odd to apply now. So if you're thinking about, well, we just don't have the housing to deal with it. Well, if we're talking about people who are already here, if you gave them all residents, they would still be here and they might bring in a partner from whom they've been separated and a couple of kids. So it's not going to substantially affect housing demand. You're mostly dealing with people who are already here. If you're looking at uh, worries around stealing people's jobs. Now, in the current circumstances, it seems pretty ridiculous to think that people who are already here and kind of working to the extent that they're allowed to and able to under visa conditions that mean that employers are a little nervous about them, they're not going to be stealing anybody's jobs. Unemployment rates are through the floor. It was understandable that labor would have been worried about this a year ago when everybody was predicting the end of the world in employment terms. The world hasn't turned out that way. Very fortunately, we've got people here who are desperate to be able to work and we're not letting them do it. All they need is a piece of paper, right? Government could just give them residence and solve the problem. Oliver, um, is is it that simple? Could we just do some sort of blanket grunting of pathway to residency or residency itself? Under normal circumstances, I think you're right. There are many different people on different categories and with different circumstances. What makes this situation different is actually that we're talking about people who've been with us for a long time. So we suggested a cutoff date, maybe make it 1st of April last year. So people who were here during the lockdown, who stayed with us for now almost one and a half years, many of them would have been here a long time before that anyway. So we're talking about people who under normal circumstances would have already almost qualified for permanent residence because that's what you have to stay for in this country legally to get this visa category. The reason why they haven't received the visa category just yet is because of the inefficiencies of the bureaucracy. So under normal circumstances, these people would be processed already anyway. They would qualify for it. They have almost a legal right to it. So why don't we do that now? This, these are not normal times where, you know, on a random day, we'll just say, okay, whoever happens to be in the country can stay. This is a very exceptional position we are in, and it's caused by the government's bureaucracy in incompetency. And I think we'll have to correct that. We have to make that right. Yeah, it goes a little bit further than that too, though, like agreeing with everything that you've just said, where one of the bottlenecks is processing time in immigration New Zealand. The wrong response would be to say, let's invent a new visa category for people who've been in this spot and have a bunch of criteria to be assessed. And all of that is loading more work onto an already broken system that cannot deal with this with the workload that it's already got if you get all of these people out of the queue by just rubber stamping residents for every one of them then that that's a real easy job for immigration new zealand have you been here since april 1st okay stamp done residents very low processing time that'd be like a five minute job rather than the more extensive process Oliver's right that there are all, all these different visa conditions some of which would not normally lead to residents 
And you wouldn't, in normal times, want people to have an expectation that if you just hang around for a while, you get an automatic entitlement to residence. I don't think that anybody is expecting that we're going to have a new pandemic in a decade's time, so that'll induce people to want to come in here on a short-term visa just in case they might be able touching, to stay here. We're all touching well, wood at the moment. Exactly. But it's not creating the same kind of incentive problem that you might otherwise worry about in this kind of extraordinary granting of residence. Uh, just to finish up here, uh, Oliver, um, we have at the moment, in theory, a government looking at reviewing its overall migration settings in the midst of this crisis and huge delays and pain. What should the government do with that overall migration settings review, which is also happening at the same time as a Productivity Commission uh, review of migration? I think we should just recognise that migrants have played a really good positive role in New Zealand's history. We documented that actually in one of our reports four or five years ago where we demonstrated how well New Zealand's migrants have fit in, how much of a contribution they've made, a fiscal contribution as well, by the way, they're paying more taxes than they cost the, uh, the, the, uh, the government. So migration has been one of the contributing factors to New Zealand's success. We would be foolish to throw that overboard and say, okay, times have changed, and after the pandemic, we'll just restrict that. I think we have to make migration work. The Great Migration Reset fills me with fear because I think we are losing that pro-migration tradition. And instead of um, trying to radically change the circumstances of our migration system from the time it was before COVID, I think we should actually recognize what was good about it and continue it. Well, thank you very much to Alistair McClymont, uh, who's talking to us from Auckland, a prominent and excellent immigration lawyer who I regularly speak to on these issues. Alistair, tell us what you think is going on with our immigration system at the moment. Oh, well, that's uh, how much time have we got? <laughs> I mean, I think everybody recognises it's a, it's a complete mess. Um, I, th I think that the government sort of had in mind um, some, some major changes when they started their first term. Um, COVID has given them the opportunity of trying to implement those changes. Um, but it's all sort of turned a little bit sort of sour. Um, and I think particularly with the news today about the unemployment rates being a lot lower than what was expected, that's probably um, really sort of uh, upset the apple cart quite a lot because I think a lot of the immigration planning was around the idea that there'd be a, a large number of Kiwis looking for work and that just simply hasn't proven to be the case. What do you think the government should do here to do the right thing, but also to... Um try and improve our reputation in the, in the world of um, trying to get people into our economy. Yeah, well, that's the this problem is it's the reputational thing is um, is really causing a lot of damage uh, because there's now going to be, um, you know, a real a real fight among countries like New Zealand to, to bring in sort of skilled workers. But I really think that they've got to do something really significant to wipe the slate clean. And, you know, we talked briefly about this idea of an amnesty. I don't really like the term amnesty, but I think they really have to do something to clear the backlog in one massive sweep. Um, the, the major backlogs are in the skilled migrant category, which is the flagship immigration policy. 
every political party would agree that it's a complete mess and needs a total overhaul because it's not fit for purpose. So what's the point in keeping all these people in the queue and continuing to um, maintain these huge backlogs um, in a policy that nobody actually wants? So, yeah, it's great that the government are looking at changing the skilled migrant policy, but they really need to do something to allow Immigration New Zealand to sort of clear their desk and start all over again from the beginning. And at the same time, using COVID as the opportunity to allow the people who are already here working to actually stay here because we can't bring anyone else in in large numbers at the moment. So what do you think um, the Immigration New Zealand could do or the government could do uh, to deal with this, to wipe the slate clean? Well, we talked about an amnesty, but amnesties have traditionally been for overstayers. And I think we need to expand that concept of an amnesty to look more at the temporary visa holders that are here in New Zealand. Because obviously there's very little movement of people around the world at the moment, including our temporary visa holders leaving and going back to their own countries. Now, we may have New Zealand citizens uh, New Zealand residents going to Australia within a travel bubble, which obviously has an effect on net migration. But we have, you know, almost 200,000 people here on temporary visas who already have housing, who already have jobs, who are already contributing to the economy. Um, and a lot of them contributed uh, a lot during um, our lockdown. So a lot of these people are in these queues for a skilled migrant category um, and um, are having a really tough time of it. So I think, you know, something really transformational that the government could do is to have this concept of an amnesty apply to those people who are here on temporary visas to allow them to go under a very simple pathway to a residency, clear the skilled migrant backlog and then use that opportunity to redesign the skilled migrant uh, policy to something which is actually fit for purpose. So we've currently got about 200,000 people in New Zealand on uh, temporary work visas of one sort or another student, um, there's a few backpackers, people on uh, skilled work visas, essential skills visas, not to mention many people who are attached to them as family members and the likes. Do you think we could do the whole lot? Can we handle that? Yeah, I mean, well, as I say, they're, they're already here working. Um, they're already here and the kids are at school and they're driving on the motorways and they're, and they're living in houses. So we're not going to have any infrastructure strain by allowing these people to stay. Now, a lot of them are restricted in where they can work and what kind of work they can do because of either the conditions on their work visa or because they're applying for resident visas under the skilled migrant category, a policy which everybody recognises is not fit for purpose. So... If we want to use this labour for in particular regions and in particular industries and in particular companies, then it's really quite simple to design a pathway to residency for the temporary visa holders to incentivise and encourage these 180,000 people to work where and in what kind of work uh, we want them to do. Um, the government have also in introducing a mandatory accreditation process for employers to manage exploitation risks. So that can then be fitted in nicely with this pathway to residency by having requirements such as if you work for one of these accredited employers in this particular industry, in this particular region, we will grant you a resident visa subject to health and character requirements in either 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, depending on how much we want to incentivise these people. Long term, one of the concepts in and around our migration system for a couple of decades now has been this idea of a residency range of somewhere between 90 and 100,000 new residencies granted every couple of years, which both sides of politics up until a couple of years ago were relatively comfortable with. 
What do you think about the long-term future of that residency range target idea and whether we can sustainably have, you know, at any one time 200, 300,000 people on temporary work visas but only award 40 or 50,000 residencies each year? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of issues here. I mean, one is a broader population policy and a discussion that needs to be had in this country, which we haven't had for a very long time. Um, and that's you know, partly where the residence range comes from. I think the second problem was that the, this residence range was never really a problem until we started having a lot of media stories around high net mi- migration rates in around about 2016. And remember, those net migration figures included a lot of New Zealanders coming back here, a lot of um, New Zealanders slowing down the rate in which they were leaving for Australia, and that affected the net migration figure. But the general public and the way that the media... Um, ran the stories about net migration numbers just made it look like there was a flood of migrants coming in. So I think that the political parties tended to sort of panic. Uh, there was a knee-jerk reaction. There was a, an election coming up. So all of a sudden, they suddenly started talking about reducing migration numbers, um, which is incredibly counterproductive as a country. We, it's, it's not so much that we're trying to sort of build up our population so much, but it's that we're trying to ensure that we have the skills that are needed to replace those people who tend to leave New Zealand and go and work overseas for large periods of time simply um, because of the geography and where we're, iso- uh, where we're located in the world. And it's just a, a fact that um, we're a small country at the bottom of the world and a lot of skilled people want to go and get their experience overseas or they go and follow the big bucks over in Australia when the mining industry is doing well. Uh, on that issue of Australia, um, I'm told that one of the reasons the government is reluctant to do some sort of uh, large-scale one-off granting of residency or path to residency is that the Australians fear or are opposed to an awful lot of people, they believe, um, using New Zealand as the back door once they get residency here, jumping across the Tasman and having the same work rights as other New Zealanders, although not the same, not the same rights as a citizen of Australia. But um, what are your thoughts about, you know, should we, should we kowtow or fear the Australians on this? Well, it does seem quite bizarre that we would be um, basing our immigration policy on what the Australians think when the Australians clearly don't reciprocate the favour and just decide to send, send us whoever they feel like it. But, um, you know, this has been an issue around for a very long time and one of the reasons why the citizenship laws changed where you need to be a New Zealand resident for five years before you can obtain a New Zealand passport. Um, so to delay a lot of new residents then just sort of packing up and going to Australia. Um, so it has been a problem, but this is just part of the agreement that we have in Australia. So if this was really an issue, then it really needs to go around the um, renegotiation of the agreement that Australia and New Zealand have regarding those work rights rather than um, fiddling with our immigration rules. Do, do you think more broadly, though, in the long run, that there needs to be a proper debate or conversation to get a social licence back for temporary work and um, pathway to residency that brings in issues like infrastructure spending and um, housing and that the like. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that was going on in the media around that 2016 time with the net migration rates, um, it was very counterproductive to having an, an intelligent, well-designed immigration system. Because you know, in a in a two-minute media um, story. Uh, at six o'clock on TV, you don't really have the opportunity to discuss all the different issues. 
issues. So you just simply say, um, net migration, immigrants coming in, stealing jobs, driving house prices up, clogging up our motorways without actually having a proper discussion about it. So, um, you know, and this is the nature of a democracy, isn't it? <laughs> is that, uh, you know, what people see in the news is that's how they vote and then that's how policy is made. So it's, um, it's been pretty counterproductive. And, and again, because we, we decided to cut immigration numbers, um, there are a lot of industries that are heavily dependent on, on migrant workers. Um, and, you know, we, we grossly underestimated the number of unemployed that we're going to have post-COVID and we've found ourselves in a real situation. And we seem to find ourselves with a government that doesn't want to say, well, perhaps we were a bit premature, perhaps we made some mistakes, perhaps we underestimated, let's sort of relook at it. They just seem to want to sort of stick with an ideological position and just run with it regardless of the circumstances. The house price one is a very good one because you will remember that in 2016, um, the high house prices were blamed on um, foreigners coming in buying houses. Now, we haven't had any foreigners coming in buying houses now for a couple of years, but it hasn't had any effect on the house prices and we don't see the government apologising for that. You're right there. Alistair, thank you very much. Alistair McClymont, um, an immigration lawyer in Auckland. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And there we have Alistair McClymont with his view on what we can do to solve this issue. I'd like to thank Eric Crampton, Oliver Hartwich from the New Zealand Initiative, and also Erica Stanford, the National Party's immigration spokesperson, for coming in and talking to us about an issue which is really now at the top of the political agenda. I'm Bernard Hickey, and that was When the Facts Change, a podcast on the spin-off network brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank. And remember, it's a weekly podcast, so you really need to subscribe to get all the good stuff. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, te Butler here, Podcast Manager at the Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.